Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, welcome to the 320th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patron Erica Green. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have our old, 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 old friend. She's almost 30. Uh, (laughs) Carlin Hudson, back on the pod. And we're going to talk treatment. It's what we were going to do last week until one of the three of us came down with COVID for some reason. Not naming names, starts with an O. I felt like last week I said one of the two of us got COVID and I could feel like a palpable nervousness from Matt about people maybe thinking it was him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, you were like going into an office and stuff? No. No, I'm not. No, just because he would be nervous about that type of thing. <laughs> well, I think Orin might be projecting here. Generally. <laughs> but then... Jamie Sadler, one of our listeners, sent me a message and said, oh, I hope you're, you're feeling OK. So Aww. I guess it was clear. OK, mm-hmm. Matt, so don't worry. I, regular listeners, perhaps. You're still hireable. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah. How we're are talking you feeling, Oren? You're feeling treatment. better, though. I'm feeling pretty great, except for I'm just stuck at my house. I'm still testing positive. So I have to keep waiting. And because I'm testing positive, like the kids aren't going to school, the nanny's not coming. It's just a total mayhem. I have a shoot next week. I have to leave. So I have a a week to be 100% clean. Hope you're drinking drinking your green juice and stuff. Anyhow, I'm going to be very happy when it's all behind us. And before we hop into treatments, we were asking about them last week. We have some really great questions from Twitter. We were going to just catch up just for a few minutes. Matt, you want to tell us what you've been working on lately and what you have on your mind? Uh, What I have on my mind, I haven't been working on it. I was thinking, I'm sure everyone's aware, Unreal Engine 5 just dropped not that long ago. Carlin, I heard you got a tattoo or something. Mm -hmm. Pretty excited about it, Carlin. Commemorating it? Is this like another bagel hack or something? (laughs) No, no, no. Unreal Engine 5 is for real. It's the 3D software that uh, powers most video games, but also more importantly, virtual productions, not unlike The Mandalorian. But there's a, a lot of people who are kind of figuring out ways to to implement virtual productions in a way, 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 way smaller scale. And a ton of DPs are really into it for pre mm-hmm. and doing all sorts of mm. cool yeah. things. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of genuine practical things that you can do with it because basically it works not unlike a video game in real time. And like it's got like just this massive, massive library of different assets that you can use for free. So like if you need New York, blop, it's in your computer ready to go and you can previs all over the place with it and drop in your avatar, metahumans, whatever, and get get things going. So uh, and you can with a little bit of gear, you can map it to a camera so you can be hmm. like live keying things. There's all sorts of fun stuff to do with like it. Hand, like you can hold your iPhone as if it's a camera and then it will, you know. 
Yeah, oh, we all get to pretend to be James Cameron now, th- thanks yeah. to, to Unreal Engine 5. Wow. Basically, Oren, you're a big Blender advocate. Blenderhead. I always love to, like, you know, if I'm doing some busy work, I'll throw a tutorial on, and then, you know, kind of in the background, just to kind of, like, be conversant, understand the fundamentals, just have, like, that tool in my tool box in the future, right? And with 3D, it takes a little bit more than just kind of listening passively. It's worth it to kind of crack the program open and really kind of like noodle around a little bit. And so my question is for the uninitiated to Oren, is it more important for Blender or Unreal based off of where people are in the industry now? What will be more useful in the future? And for Carlin, is any of that important to you personally? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? As a working director who, you know, works on all sorts of different sizes of budgets, but plenty of big, big budgets, you know. Huge. You know. No, no. Doing well, doing good stuff. Like VFX are are a thing that you have to talk about and work through and previs with people. Is software ever a part of the conversation for you? What language are you speaking when you're trying to communicate with artists who are actually implementing the ideas in whatever software they're using the vfx work that i've done is pretty simple to be honest so far i I haven't really been i guess given the opportunity or or created an opportunity for myself to Mm -hmm. do super heavy vfx stuff so i just don't have a a reason to really dive into it yet but Mm -hmm. i bet if i had a project that would require it i would do it so i just don't i just haven't needed it yet that makes complete sense I think there is that evolution of like starting with things simply and then realizing, oh, there are ways that I can plus or embellish even simple shots with VFX now that it's part of my process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like the, the company that I'm working with now, effectively, I know that every single shot is going to go through an After Effects paint team. So like, I'm not worried about a we- the weird blemish on the wall anymore because I know someone's going to clean it up or like more importantly like I can do a virtual set extension if it's teeny tiny and, and not super involved or do like a sky replacement is something that's been handy it's been gloomy mm. the last couple months so like yeah just knowing like oh okay I know we wrote that there was going to be a nice sunset right now so we'll light for that even if the sky is totally blown out and it helps you to previs in this program to show the team how it's going to look. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the many different things or, but people are using it for full shots as well. It is the thing that like powers the Mandalorian volume walls, you know? So like those virtual sets are all built in unreal for instance. Yeah. I was just watching the new Russian doll thinking, wow, how did they conceptualize all of this? And I'm sure it was through the use of one of these programs too. I mean, I guess my point of view as a director, like the value of a program like Blender Unreal, like Matt said, there's a million different things. And I think every director would find value in some of them. Obviously, doing visual effects or kind of full shots that are going to be in your final product is probably the least likely thing that any of us will do unless we're doing an animated piece or something like that. But what I use it a ton for is for previs, you know, so basically like laying out my location and, you know, the spot I'm shooting in a couple of weeks that I was talking to you guys about, I've already started like building out this warehouse and blender and trying to figure out where I would put these different areas. And once I've done that, I can start putting camera lenses up and, you know, Matt had an idea about some interesting angles. So 
I could start trying to find those. And knowing the dimensions of my location, I can know what lenses I would need when I'm talking to the DP and like maybe what some of the difficulties of lighting might be. And so just in order to plan out shoots and stuff, I find it really helpful. On the pre-getting the job section, like I just did a treatment last week where um, we have, we're supposed to shoot in this supermarket, but we can't get a supermarket because of where we have to shoot the second part of the day. So we have to build part of a supermarket and I was pitching a set extension, you know, where like Matt said, where we make one wall, a green screen. So we've just built a little tiny corner of the supermarket, but behind our actors, you'll see like the big supermarket behind them. We pitched it to the agency. And of course I built the corner in Blender and I put our characters there and I put a green screen and then I showed them what it would look like in camera and then what it would look like once we extend it. And then they had us do a call with the post team because the post team was like, how are we going to do the set extension? How is it going to work? And I showed them, I shared my screen. I walked them through my blender set and everything. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. Now we totally get it. Green screen is going to be here. The shelf's going to be here. Just make sure that this thing isn't out of focus. I don't even have the job yet, but already I think I've proven to the agency that I can do this thing that seems maybe Mm -hmm. difficult and they don't know necessarily if I can do it on the budget or not, but I'm showing them that I, like Matt said, I have the vocabulary and I know how to do it. I'm not going to do it myself, but I'm going to shoot it in a way that it's going to be very much doable. So my question is not, are 3D products helpful for people in all sorts of different ways? My question is, which one? Which one? Because the the problem I have with Blender is that it's pretty incomprehensible from a interface perspective. Everything's mm-hmm. a hotkey. None of it makes a ton of sense. There's a million sub menus. Like you know, like when you crack open Premiere or you crack open Photoshop, there's a commonality between those programs. So even if you're not especially comfortable in one or the other, you can kind of figure it out with a little bit of time. Blender, it's like it's like a new language, frankly. And I thought, well, if I'm starting from scratch, does Unreal, which is, I think, a little bit more user friendly, does that make more sense? First of all, 3D software in general just has a really big learning curve because it's nothing like editing. You know, it's not like Photoshop and it's not like 3D and it's not like layers um, and mm-hmm. these very two dimensional ways we're thinking of things. Um so the learning curve is really difficult. Blender is especially difficult. Maya is probably more difficult than Blender, as is 3D Studio Max. Probably the easiest one, quote unquote, is Cinema 4D, which is also very expensive. Don't sleep on SketchUp, bro. Yeah, that's not, not really anything <laughs> anyone uses uh, for, for what we're talking about. They, you maybe lay out a set or something. Lay out a set and SketchUp yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you can put the cameras there the time, and you can but, do that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, not really for rendering or lighting, I think. I don't know how much lighting you can do there. But Unreal is equally, if not more complex than Blender because there's an entire game engine part to it that is not... It's not like you can do just 3D Mm. stuff without the game engine. Like, they're all... It's all built to support each other. So just Mm -hmm. the whole way you think about things, you think like After Effects of Blender is complicated. It's like even more complicated. On top of that... You can't model in Unreal. You can't make oh. things. It's you bring models. So a lot of people use Blender and Unreal. Unreal, you can load existing models. You can load up textures. You can get all this free stuff. Interesting. And by the way, that free stuff, it's called the Mega Scans Library from Epic Game. You know, basically, mm-hmm. one company owns all of ev- all this stuff. 
they made it all free for everyone. And you can use those models in Blender too, not just in Unreal. That's why I think for filmmakers, Blender is free. There's an unlimited amount of resources to learn it. And it also has like great drawing tools. If you are into storyboarding, like by hand drawing, you know, we talked about that video in the past. So anyhow, it's all really complicated and would basically take another pandemic for someone to sit down and like learn how to use it all. Um, I know that's why whenever you talk about this stuff, I'm like, wow, I mean, how many hours, but you, but you, but you also do VFX. So that's like one of your superpowers as a director is this stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy it and I have fun with it. And I was a cinema 4d person before, which I do really think is the easiest one from uh, like click on the cube and you have a cube, you know, and then you click on it and you can stretch it out. Like right. drag it. Yeah. yeah. Hold this button to scale or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Carlin, I'm curious about like lenses and things when you are planning out your shoot, talking to the DP or even before you're talking to the DP, like, are you, do you think more about shot size? Do you think about lens focal length? Are you like, oh, we should be really wide and low. Are you like, oh, we should get like the 18 millimeter lens. How do you think about that stuff? I mean, I do use Artemis, you know, I'm sure Mm -hmm. many people do. So that's sort of like where I'll play around with different lenses and stuff but i i'm definitely that's thinking set, a lot. Right? that's like doing the scout yeah on the scout i'll i'll do that and so then on the scout we can figure out you know which lenses we like and we might change our our minds on the day but that's yeah i'm thinking about like angles and thinking about sort of like the big picture and sort of like generally what mm-hmm. lens i want to use unless it's a really specific shot like this roku geico thing i just did is really visually super specific so on that like you know, it just has like a really interesting look, you know, and we had like lots of we had like a giant. What was our zoom? It was like. 12 to 200 and something. It was like a giant to 290. Q. Yeah, that one. I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I do think about lenses and angles. I think as you're on set and like you start to see the different ways that a lens changes the image. Mm-hmm. I think that it just kind of pulls it all into focus. Focus. Pulls it all into focus. I have this weird thing where I try to not shoot two shots that will cut with each other within like the, I always try to have them be at least two lens lengths away from each other. Mm. You know, like, like I tried to you not, wouldn't do like a 35 and a 50 or something. Yeah. Or a 40 and a 50. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm not hmm. sure that would bother me at all. I don't know. Just for me, I feel like I wouldn't want to go from a wide shot on a 50 to a close-up shot on a 50. I don't know why. I guess I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would maybe feel weird. Like we're not, like the camera hasn't moved or maybe it will feel very much like the camera has moved. I don't know. When someone's like, oh, we did that last shot on the 50 and they're like, let's try on the 40. I'll always try to go to like the 32 or whatever. For (laughs) sure, I, I will spend a whole spot on a 32 in particular. I feel like there's a handful of lenses that I like better Basically, I like like a super like an 18, a 32 and a 50 are kind of like my favorites, basically, almost always or 32, 35, whatever you the kit has. Yeah, I guess I would count those as like two away from each other, like like different enough from each other. A 32 to a 50. Yeah. But I guess Matt, what you're saying is like you would have fun just shooting the whole thing on a 32. 100 percent. Yeah. Like the super wide shot. Certainly I've, I've, I've intercut a 32 in between. The wide on a 32 and a close-up on a 32. For sure, I've done that. If you ever shot anything on your iPhone, that's how you do it too, right? Like you kind of just use that 1X lens. A famously visual medium. 
mm-hmm. guess people do shoot on the iPhone now. <laughs> yeah, I did like a campaign just recently where it was all kind of meant to be like a uh, testimonial style, you know, mm-hmm. like people talking, like FaceTiming their friends and all that stuff. And so I, a few of the people, a lot of it was shot remotely, but a few of them were in LA. And so I just went and was like, I'll just pull my phone out and shoot these instead of making them do it. And I showed my wife, Chrissy, the cut. And she was like, I don't know why people don't always just shoot on iPhones. Really? Like, like it, it doesn't look like an Alexa. I will say this, when the client saw it, they started, originally it was just going to be for OTT and like smart TVs and stuff, like mm-hmm. like a digital campaign. And they are looking into linear now because of it. And it's not like wow. it's that good. You know what I mean? But it's just like, you know, you get a ton of different cool shots. You're not thinking about it. You're not oh, overthinking it. Did you do it. cinematic mode? No, I did not. It's intentional that everything should feel authentic like and homemade DIY. and like DIY. So like a cinematic mode would make it look too quote unquote cinematic. But like, you know, I got up in there. I used all of the different lenses and I was like, yeah, like there this is, is a new iPhone. The new iPhone. Yeah, I don't have I don't have this iPhone. I got to I got to get Carlin, it. Carlin, you got it. It is pretty nice. OK, Um, it is pretty nice. Anyway. So when it drops, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a neat little spot, but like there is a world where you're like, yeah, this is kind of the future. I don't know why we spend, I mean, you can spend so much more money on media placement and just send one person and a cell phone and a list of questions. For some things, they're really <laughs> <Sure>. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also if you need a great location with great lighting. That is true. Yeah. On the 3D side of things, if our, if you listeners have any opinions on anything, which software is best, the fact that directors should even waste their time uh, getting into this, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. As a final thing before we move on, I think if you two are the opposite ends of the spectrum, I'm like closer to the middle, like veering closer to Oren, but not like I've done VFX, but I would not ever expect to like try to do that as a side hustle. And I do find it helpful to be conversant, but not not expect to like put my hands on the wheel or tell people how to do things, basically. But it's nice to have that vocabulary. And so that's that's where my head is at in terms of all tools, basically. Like, I'm not going to tell a DP how to do their job, but I do like to know what gear they're using and why they're using it and like have an understanding myself of all of that. And that's true for all technicians. And so as 3D becomes more and more approachable on a smaller scale, I think it becomes more of an expectation to have at least an understanding. That's all. Is this an intervention? Y'all just want me to get more. Uh, <laughs> no, Carlin, you're yeah. doing great. It's more, more just the programs. <laughs> it's, no, don't, don't, but not by any means. I keep thinking about everything everywhere all at once. Uh-huh. Right. I have not seen it yet. Yeah. It's great. It's literally an eight person VFX team. It's over 200 VFX shots in that movie. The directors are two of the VFX people. Mm. You know what I mean? Which is cool. You know, there's a lot of shots that are like, you know, basic wire removal and compositing and stuff like that. And there's there's some heavy duty shots as well and some 3D. But the Daniels are an example of people who are using a set of tools that was not available to us for very long in DIY and like bootstrappy garage filmmaking ways on the big screen to great success. Yeah. And so that's interesting. That's worth talking about on a podcast like this is all to each their own. Obviously everybody's got their own superpowers as a person who's going to be listening to tutorials, no matter what I thought 
well, which ones should I be listening to? Well, let us know what you think, folks. We appreciate it. Okay. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On to the main topic treatments. So we talked about treatments a lot here. When I saw Adam Bricker, one of our listeners the other day, I was lamenting to him that I had four treatments due that week and how much I hate treatments and writing treatments, which I realized I hate writing treatments when I don't get the job, but I love writing treatments when I do get the job. You love writing treatments. Adam said to me, he's like, it's so weird. Like of all the people I know, you're the one that seems to love writing treatments the most based solely on listening to your podcast. I don't know. Maybe I have a reputation for loving, <laughs> loving treatments. Also, if this is a show about making a living as a director, this is one of the cleanest, most obvious, overt, actionable things that a person can get better at. That's, I think, probably a lot of the reason why we like to talk about them as well. We're all equally capable of making a treatment. You know, the person that has no money that lives with their parents and us. I mean, sure, on occasion, we might hire some people to help us make them look better. But in theory, most people have the tools to, to make a treatment. And the treatment is what gets you the job in a lot of these things. On top of your reel. And the phone call. And mm-hmm. the what you're pitching. You yeah. Know, for- but I mean, even in a more general, like the feature, the short film, the actor, the thing, like the presentation, you know, where it's like your personality plus whatever you're presenting um, is, is like what impresses people or doesn't impress people and what communicates your vision. And even Carlin, you were telling us that one of your treatments was being passed around Hollywood because it was so effective at what it set out to do. And other people looked at it as an example. Funny story. I didn't get that job. So um, pretty cool. 
is for a movie that I didn't get, but um, it is. But also quickly, just to in commercials we call them treatments, but in features we call them lookbooks. Just mm-hmm. right for, their for like a pitch deck, yeah, or a presentation. So, uh, Carlin, elaborate on that because I think in features often a treatment can be a totally different thing. Basically. A treatment can be a just a three to five page uh, word doc, like a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. And like, like my team, they know that I do a commercial. So they, I think they now know that sometimes I mix the two up, but it's a lookbook, you mm-hmm. know, like they wouldn't, nobody, nobody in like the film TV side calls them treatments to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know that commercial and treatments. If you talk to a doctor, they're very confused. <laughs> that is yeah. true. They're like uh, the treatment. Yeah. But commercial treatments used to be like those three page, you know, Three pages of text describing how you would shoot a commercial. Sure. But now they've turned into these like visual, 25 page visual presentations. Yes. And we all have to do them because we know that whoever we're pitching against is also doing them. Anyhow, I was curious about you guys because, you know, we all do commercials and it's easy and it's a 30 second format. So we'll just start talking about that. When you, you get a script, maybe you get some other materials, some boards, some references, whatever. What's your first step to making your treatment? I almost always write it first. Mm-hmm. But what what do you write? What do I write? Um, uh, my process is you you'll be shocked. It's very high tech. Um, I write it on a t- on a piece of paper. No, I'm just kidding. I I do Google Slides and I like for each commercial. You know, I, it has a different. You need sort of different pages so uh, there's always the same ones but like i'll do like an intro page and blah 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 and i just kind of map out the look and feel i'll just kind of jot down notes and so my first pass is a very kind of messy like here's some references and just just kind of like each section like tone casting look and feel location do you have whatever. those four in every treatment pretty much that you just mentioned pretty much yeah and sometimes i do wardrobe sometimes i don't sometimes i do edits sometimes i don't sometimes music sometimes not just depending on the job and whatever's special about the job can i ask a a technical question yeah do you finish in google slides as well or is it just there for organizational purposes for you i do but um you know maybe it's like uncool of me to admit this but nowadays i don't design my own treatments i'm just being honest it's very cool it's honestly i'm very cool but but (laughs) Literally deciding what, like, the pages is part of the design. Like, you're saying you're not laying out, like, what the That's true. I'm not doing the layout. I don't do the layout. And Mm -hmm. I usually have someone pull images for me, and I also pull images. Do you pull yours first to show them an idea? Yeah, or I'll, if, if somebody is pulling images for me, I will guide them. You know what I mean? I'll be like, this is the kind of, I will, I will send them very specific things to pull. And if there's some general stuff I need in the pool, I'll be like general, you know, wide angle close-ups of children, whatever. I guess that's pretty specific. But um, <laughs> the treatment designer will take the Google slides once that's finalized and, you know, design it into the treatment. But yeah, the production company I'm with um, has people in-house we use. Yeah, yeah, we have in-house, in-house resources. And honestly, nowadays when I do them on my own, I just... I'll pay someone because they're better at it and they're faster than me. And I am busy, you know, that's, that's life. You're talking about you pay someone for the images or for the layout or you for the layout. one person to, to do both. Okay. Usually um, I always, I always definitely pick up at least 
some percentage of the images. Like I'm not, I don't feel comfortable letting someone pick out a hundred percent of the images, but it's usually a collaboration. But on, on feature lookbooks, I do pick out 75 plus percent of the images because those are pretty specific. When you're getting sent images and they've laid them out for you, it's so much easier to see what bumps for you. Yeah. Right. Like saying yes or saying no to an image is, is, equally important but like sometimes just having it presented to you makes it easier to it's much less stressful yeah but i mean even creatively you just because you sort of in the back of your head sort of crystallize what it is you're looking for it's easier to say yes or no whereas like when you're slogging through every image that's ever been on the internet or in a book or scans or your personal whatever you know it's really hard to uh, have any objectivity about it basically and that to me, that's honestly like when you, having someone pulling pulling images for you, it's that objectivity that you're kind of paying yeah. for along with layout. Yeah, and they'll send me like 300 stuff. plus images and I'm only going to pick 40 of them or 50 of them, you know, so it's mm-hmm. so pretty quickly you could be like, no, 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 no. That's interesting. Yes. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that's I know you're different or and you make you, you do your own treatments. I've been working out with layout people a lot <gasps> Lately. Yay! Of these last four treatments I did. Yeah, you just can't do four in a week. That's crazy. My approach is pretty much like yours, Carlin. I'm assuming, Matt, you're probably pretty similar way. I use the Notes app on my phone because I like to do it kind of like just while I'm like at a restaurant or something. Like I don't, I don't want to have Google slide yeah, like strip yeah. down. And I, yeah. you know, first I make a list of references, even like as I'm talking to the agency or figuring things out. Which, by the way, for features and. uh kind of longer form narrative stuff, I find it much more difficult because the casting starts becoming an issue in your images where in commercials, it's never an issue. Can I say actually in terms of image polls for features, I've started leaning way, way harder into fine art, especially fine art photography is just so much. You just mitigate all of those problems everything's about tone everything's kind of like you know has more negative space so you can write on a little bit easier like pulling a bunch of frames from your favorite movies you could end up in a sand trap that's really smart where do you find these fine art it's a little harder you have to like if you have any artist reference or even like if you go on like pinterest and find a seed Mm -hmm. and realize this photographer this photographer and then you start Googling and then you see their gallery displays and those are often really high res or or sometimes it's even Instagram, things like that as well. Like it, when I say fine art, they don't have to be showing in, you know, Milan right. right now. It can be something like on Instagram or something. But like and then that kind of, you know, it's like any sort of research. Once you kind of find the thread to pull, you can kind of continue to, to yeah. find it. We had two basically. different guests that yeah. did that for their treatments, both really incredible treatments that led to movies. And that was Don Luby and Jocelyn DeBoer, right? Mm-hmm. They referenced a lot of fine art mm-hmm. photography. And also the It Follows treatment is filled with all amazing photography from a specific photographer. Similarly, if you just have like one person over and over again, it's like, okay, well, you're just cribbing this person's style. Right. Mm-hmm. Something I've done recently, I, you know, a lot of times when I'm pitching, on commercials, I get told who I'm pitching against. And a lot of directors are also photographers. And so if I mm-hmm. happen to look one up 
And I see that they have amazing photography. I'll like bookmark it as like, ooh, this person's really good at photographing people or products or cars or whatever. And I know that it's not going to be a frame that other people have unless I'm pitching against that person. I lost out on a pretty big job a few months ago to a director photographer. Kara, my wife, got her headshots from this photographer. I forgot her name, but she's... She photographs like all these UCB people and comedy people and comedy celebrities. Robin Von Swank. Oh, Robin Von Swank. Uh-huh. And I think she directs a little bit too. And it's like, you already mm-hmm. see she has these amazing relationships with funny people. Like, of course, that's going to be a leg up. Anyway, I think the reason to have like these sections in my notes for the treatment is because it takes the stress off. I have an intro. I have something about tone or performance. I have something about you know, the script and the story and then kind of the location, the camera work, lighting and texture or whatever. Um, and as I get deeper into the treatment, I'll start changing those, the headings, you know, instead of intro, I'll call it mm-hmm. like a deep dive into cleaning or whatever, <laughs> like whatever the, that treatment's about, I'll try to craft it to be that. But then I know that I can like even start laying out my treatment before I know exactly what my idea is because then I just start filling out the text and then I start finding images and they give me ideas mm-hmm. and I start watching references. Yeah. So that was kind of has been my approach for the last like four or five years. I don't know. And it, it works okay, but I'm thinking of totally changing that approach and starting from a different place, which is taking the script that the agency sends, the commercial script, and just writing out a shot list. Hmm. You know? Um, figuring out what I actually want to shoot and then starting to find images and references. And obviously that might change things, but the whole like section of like, like tone and performance and location and wardrobe, I find that I'm like writing so much like fluffy language about like, though this location should be lived in there. We'll feel the characters are really there and we'll do that. But like at the end of the day, it's like, we're going to have a shot. And there's going to be a refrigerator and there should be a magnet on it that says this thing, like home, sour home, whatever, you know. Um, And like those are the details that actually matter for the final product, much more so than like all this BS stuff you're putting in there to make it sound like you care, Mm -hmm. but really have no idea. And I've seen Jordan Brady um, do these like video treatments where he just talks beat by beat of how the commercial is going to look and feel. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I totally know what the commercial is. After he mm. talks like that, whereas my treatments, I'm just kind of hedging. I'm, I'm throwing mm-hmm. every idea into the mix in case one of them resonates. And that means I'll get the job. You know what I mean? I do a little bit of that, too, because it's like, well, that's the game. That's what they expect. I feel like I'm sometimes in conversations with people about the difference between, you know, the type of filmmaker who is really results oriented. Who's like, look, this is how the spot's going to be really good for these reasons. And here's how, here's how each element is going to implement. And it's going to, you know, do this for your product or whatever. People are going to walk away knowing the name of your product much more than they did before having a greater affinity for it or your clicks are going to grow up or whatever. And then there's the agency game of just like, we are the most creative. This is the coolest. Right. And there's, Advertising is that weird back and forth between like, it's immeasurable how good of a job we're doing, but trust us, look how cool our haircuts <laughs> are. Check out my mm-hmm. tattoo. 
And and then the nerds who are like, no, 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 trust me, it's going to work. These are the reasons why this joke is going to land, etc. And like, you kind of have to. I think we're all as directors a little bit of both of those yep. people, right? We we have to be practical. We have to get it shot. We know how much daylight there is in the day, and also maybe we should all get tattoos. I don't know, or at least look cool. Carlin, you Thank look you. cool. Yeah, yeah, I was Carlin. like, do I look cool? cool? It depends on the day. Um, I don't have tattoos. You've got some. You have some good set selfies, though. Do you know what I mean? I do have good. I I, I try to look semi cool on set. It's ninety percent the just shoot it hat. Yeah, I did wear a just shoot it hat one day on the Nike set, and a PA came up to me and was like, "I love that podcast." No, seriously? Yes, yes. No, she was not a PA. She was a second AD. Ooh, even better. Yeah, and I was like, I'm I'm awesome. I'm on it. And she was like, Really? I haven't heard of you. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, was and for a second I was jealous and now yeah, I feel better. Then you don't funny. actually love the podcast. I know. She was like not impressed with me. It was great. I think when I started commercial directing, I thought that you were supposed to look just kind of like an agency bro. Like you're supposed to look really approachable mm-hmm. and kind of like generally acceptable. But I don't think that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, oh, you should have some sort of point of view in your style, truly just to make people think you're cool. Because who fucking cares? Mm-hmm. It, it, at the end of the day, if you do a good job, it doesn't matter. But if it helps you get the job, put on some cool printed pants. You know what I mean? What, who, what do you have to yeah. lose? Anyways, that's my cynical yeah. L.A. rant on looking cool. I think that's <laughs> totally true. Well, and also I you, don't you, do it with, at all. Uh, uh, to, uh, to be fair, Carlin, I think that you're just... You like looking cool, and the, it's not like you bought that outfit for the no, shoot. You know I did. I, mean? I did buy like, something. Oh, no, I, I did buy some stuff for the Nike shoot. I did oh. because I was on set so many days, and I had to wear a lot of Nike. And um, sure, there's so many young people on set. I bought like I bought some Gen Z some Gen Z pants. Is what I called them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Because they're high waisted and they look like Jankos. Like I looked crazy. I really uh-huh. thought I looked really crazy, yeah, yeah. but the kids lo- loved them. I got many compliments from young people. <laughs> I do think that talking about what to wear on set is valuable. I'm not saying it's it needs to be said in this particular podcast, sure. but it is. We're, we're off. We're topic, off topic, but, yes, but it, it is, is something that I thought about all the time, and maybe it's like slightly a gendered thing. Maybe not. I don't know. I think you're right, a hundred percent. I think it is slightly gendered. However, Orin and I have felt confused about what to wear <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. I love um, the vulnerability, and, and also we've all had that thing of like having to tell people that you're the director. Yes, and like if you look cool. If you're not wearing work boots, which is what I like to wear on set because I'll I like to be in the shit, you know, that you're sending signals to people of like, hey, this is where I am in this in this workplace environment. Basically, you know, it's a version of wearing a suit or or dressing up in some way, you know, so I think that there is a a lot of different complicated, nuanced uh aspects to it but that it's all valuable to think through and decide for yourself yeah. certainly um i'm gonna go buy a bucket hat. honestly that's i'm this close this is that's the one thing i haven't Don't. done is a bucket hat i'm like i just can't do it <laughs> i just am like a little too old for that or right, and get us back on track let's touch on feature treatments for a second let's talk about the layout a little bit like what a treatment looks like obviously there's images you pull i had a designer work on a treatment and we all felt collectively like it wasn't a funny 
it was supposed to be a comedy treatment and the design and the layout was not funny. And so I think this applies not just to commercials, obviously features, obviously everything. Is there, do you guys ever think about what tone your layout and your treatment design is, is telling and what are some of your techniques for that? Font to me is the thing that tells you what tone we're doing and like layout it's maybe the finer points that are a little lost on me. Font and color, mm-hmm. I think, too. Those are two big ones. And I I know a few years ago, I'm assuming it was a few years ago, we talked about treatments and Oren was really anti-GIF at this point. Let's take a survey across the three of us for both lookbooks, aka feature treatments, and commercial treatments. Yay or nay on gifts? I'm I'm yay for both. I'm big hell hell yeah for commercials. For features, I have not done gifts yet because it feels like uh, a more like serious medium. Even though I'm only making mm-hmm. comedies, but I don't know. But that could change. I was anti-gif. Then I started seeing these agency decks, like usually Google Slides and things like that, where that had some really good gifts in them. And I was like, oh, I guess that does really. It, it really conveys it the nailed, shot, too. Yeah. And then I saw a treatment from Carlin, actually, a few weeks ago for your Nike job. I was like, damn, this is like so good. Of the four treatments I just did, three of them had gifts. I just want to take a moment to relish this. Mama Rai taught Orin something. Not that I didn't teach you, but I helped convince you. And that is very special to me. Uh, Thank you, listeners. For comedy, especially in commercials, the gifts really do a lot of work for you. Yeah. And I, especially on that Nike job, so much of the comedy was camera movement and and Mm -hmm. angles and stuff. So there's just no better way to nail how to, how I'm going to do that. Yeah. Or just explain what you're talking about. I just want to come back for a second to the comedy versus non-comedy. And I imagine this would also apply to horror versus non-horror or tech versus non-tech. Like, obviously, the typography is like huge, right? You would choose some font for your title font that implies the tone. Do you, Matt, do you also do that for the body text? Like, basically, all of your writing? Well, my body text legibility becomes a, a much bigger question mark for me. I think like my title text, I go hard mm-hmm. style, you know, that can be re- that can have a real flourish to it. It still needs to be legible, but like, you know, I think that there's a lot more latitude there, but as soon as you start trying to write anything, you know, in a paragraph, all the swirls or the jagged lines or the textures or whatever, all that stuff just becomes untenable. So I do like to have a really, really clean body text, but also I've been bumping up against deciding on how to pick the subtitle text mm. like the like the header text i guess is maybe the better way to say it so like it's not the big splash image titles it's like i'm breaking up you know paragraphs or 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 you know sections, you need to call yeah. out things in sections in some way whether it's bolding italicizing or a totally different font is hard for me to decide yeah, that's why i love like the professional like a futura or avenir next or even a helvetica new you have like all your different weights so you can mm-hmm. do like an extra bold mm-hmm. or bold in a bigger size yeah but then it doesn't feel like i think to your previous point orion or in like there's a lot of personality that you're imbuing so like 
if you're sticking to one font family for the entirety of the piece, that looks more professional, certainly, but maybe you're kind of losing out on some of the personality. Personality. There's this font, Bebes, Bebes, B E B A S, new. I like Bebes, new. Yeah, sure. And it's, it's like a comedy font, but it's like a super clean, crisp sans serif font that like works perfectly, I think, with like a Helvetica or something. So, yeah, it, th- there's some finesse to it. But to me, the other like big trick of to make something a comedy treatment is just don't put it on white, you know? Yep. Uh, just choose a color and make that your background mm-hmm. and make your text white or black, depending on what color you choose. Anyhow, so those are my thoughts on tone and treatment. I thought we can close out this segment by just looking at our Twitter questions real quick because we did ask listeners if they had any questions about treatments. And we got a few. Carlin, the first question. All right. Tony Gipastioni asks, what's your top essential element that must be in a treatment? And what's your above and beyond element if you want to get extra credit with execs? And what should definitely not be in the treatment? And I think he's more focused on narrative stuff. too. Top thing that must be in a treatment. I guess base level, when you glance at it, you need to get a sense of what the movie's going to look like. So that's maybe the most important thing just from the get-go. Do you think it's important to start with like the log line, like kind of on by page two? It depends. Like I'm pitching on another feature in a, in a little while that the company developed the script. So I'm not going to tell them the log line and the lookbook. But in my personal projects, like my spec scripts, yes, I do have a log line and synopsis. Well, what about Tony's other question? What should you definitely not include in the presentation? You know, obviously it's a very open-ended question, but I would not talk too much about like gear, you know? When I do the casting section of a feature lookbook, I sometimes keep it a little bit vague, to be honest. I keep it like character driven, but I do not bring up specific actors. So I would not bring up specific actors in Hollywood. The landscape of features right now is so attachment driven for actors that First of all, you're you're going to be sending this this shit to a bunch of actors. And so if they see somebody else in the lookbook, they're not going to love that. If we were like, Oren, we love you for this role. And then we send a document with a bunch of other people like in it. Matt Inlow. He's Oren's like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. It was like, what? That guy? Yeah, it's just, it's just a little bit dicey. Yeah. Like casting is just really tricky. And so I think that keep, you can, have, it's not, I'm not saying you can't have like, you know, in my Caitlin versus lookbook, I definitely have pictures of like Reese Witherspoon. And but I also for for like the picture of the main character, I actually have a picture of like young Hillary Clinton. That tells you a lot about who that character is, but it's not an actor. You had young Reese Witherspoon from election right. next to Hillary right. Clinton. So it, there's something connective. It's not like you're being like, I want Reese right, right. now. But I very purposefully... You want right, Reese from But I didn't put any like pictures of the leads from Booksmart because this was also a high school movie mm-hmm. with girls in it. And so I just didn't want to mm-hmm. draw that comparison. On my feature, I have pages of potential cast and it's more of an investment thing. Right. Totally. That makes sense. It's specifically so that people get an understanding of the level of talent. Right. You know what I mean? If you're looking to buy a movie and I'm like, yo, we're going to get Brad Pitt and then we get Brad Schmidt. And so that means different things for your budget and for the type of movie that you're making. Basically, this says something about their character, but also about the 
how established the talent is. And I would just stick to like when you're talking about characters, stick to like you can talk about archetypes and movies and TV shows. I think in like, you know, those roles. But I wouldn't talk about actors outside of roles that they they're playing. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I would say one other thing. And you guys might think differently about this, but I would not like make character pages that just have a ton of writing. I totally agree. You know what I do, which people can Mm -hmm. steal, which I, I don't always do this, but I often put like the name and then like four bullet points about them. Kind of like a yearbook kind of Mm -hmm. style thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, favorite band. Yeah. Or just, but like quirky stuff. You know what I mean? Like, um, loves ramen, hates pho. I don't know. Next question from Derek Aiello, an old member of the podcast. Derek asks, what are films, videos, and commercials that you love that have great blocking? To me, it seems a little tangential to treatments and things, but I actually, three of my four treatments that I had to uh, write last week were mainly about blocking, like interesting blocking and having like a lot of interesting things happening in the background. So I actually talked to Matt a lot about references for good blocking and just a lot of things happening on camera. And so the most obvious, I think, director is Wes Anderson. He's constantly got a lot of people doing a lot of things. I think the movie Roma, which was directed by Quaron, he does like a lot of cool world building in the background of his shots. Obviously, Fellini in Eight and a Half. What's her name? Celine Siama, you know, in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Like there isn't that chaos, but the blocking is like every picture is frame is like a, a masterpiece do you guys like care about blocking and treatments and presentations decks and things like that presentations i think that kind of oftentimes falls into the gear category in so much as all of it is important and valuable but if you start talking specifically about the blocking if you say blocking in a sentence you may be dead in the water I, as a person who's made people's eyes glaze <laughs> over with technical talk one too many times i just try to personalize it or humanize it in a way basically yeah, yeah i have not talked about that in treatments to my knowledge i think i've talked about how to use extras i guess that could be blocking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sure yeah it's all mise-en-scene right guys well so riley b has some really funny questions i'm just gonna read all of them <laughs> In a oh row. Boy. Um, uh, Riley asks, what is the all-time most referenced image in commercial director treatment history? How many times have you used it? And is it of Joaquin Phoenix and her? Uh, I think I might have. I actually have used, used that. <laughs> Literally have. I have used that. I love that movie. Really? Yes. You love I her? I do. Yeah. Really? So that's interesting really? to me. I love yeah, Spike Jones. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Me too. I love Spike Jones, and it, uh, that one's not really. Not for me. I love it, man. I think it's yeah. it's just beautiful to look at too, and like what it, it's yeah, fun. It's, it's fun it's really to pretty. think about a future that's not completely dystopian. Basically, I'm almost always pulling like a couple Coen Brothers movies, and like Scott Pilgrim. There's a mm-hmm. few kind of basically any director that has like really big visuals that I tend to also use. I lean on pretty heavy. Riley asks, what phrase have you recycled the most? Active camera. I I say something about performances a lot, that they're like grounded in reality. You know, like the world is heightened. Um, Then Riley says, how many lies have you told on your intro page? 
I can think of one. Oh, that you really love <laughs> whatever it is you're pitching on? No, I used an anecdote that was not mine. It was Alex's. Oh, interesting. I just, it's, I don't mm. think I even got, I don't even remember what job okay. it was, but I was like, oh, something specific about like somebody running over like a statue at Abuela's and I just pretend like it was my story, you know, that kind of thing. I had this phase where I really tried to find a personal story to open up every treatment with. And I recently I've been doing more like general, like, you know, I really don't like it when this happens. And I feel like other people like, or we all love this thing, like more of a collective experience as opposed to like, I grew up in Orange County, so I love oranges, you know, like I've kind of abandoned that. Yeah. Starting with an insight of some sort, I think yes. is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I tend to do some like funny personal anecdote and that I kind of, that becomes like a runner throughout. There was a spot once where the gag was that the ID photo that they had taken was bad. Like they were sneezing in the middle of the ID photo from my high school days. I have my uh, student ID and I wore the same shirt in every single student ID photo. Ah. And I used that with, and I have them still and showed them as my intro. And I was like, well, I'm not going to top That's that. perfect. And you got the job. And the Nike thing, I also had a, a GIF of me hula hooping with mm-hmm. my niece and, and like a Target. Because I said something about like, I'll play with the kids. And I was like, oh my God, I have a video of me like playing with kids sure, in public. Yep. Hula hooping. And it's silly. And I'm laughing. And no, that stuff is definitely good when it's real. Like what when you guys real. are describing. Yeah. Yeah. Two last questions, which are kind of the same one. So I'm going to read them together. This is all from Riley. but This is the best question. I should have only included this one. Riley asks, how confident are you that you can pull off what you're promising in your treatment? And how much of the heavy lifting do you let your treatment do once the job has been awarded? Do you feel like your keys, like the heads of your departments, can work competently off just your treatment? Important follow-up question. How confident are you that your keys look at the treatment at all? <laughs> uh... I'm pretty confident. I mean, the, basically just the DP and the production designer and then hopefully yeah. wardrobe, you know, makeup, costumes and makeup also. But I mean, who else really needs to look at it? Yeah. Um, I think it also depends on the budget and how much time you have, if you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. I pitch a lot of ideas in the treatment and I know that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to do one of them. So sometimes maybe the agency is like, well, that's all you're going to do. We're going to have an ex- confetti explosion after every line. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that was like an idea. But then you told us we have to shoot all these TikTok videos too. So, well, Riley, thanks for the questions. Those are really, really good. I mm-hmm. think the best thing I got out of Riley's question is just kind of the commiserating on this idea that we're, we're just like s- selling so hard in the treatment. Um, and it doesn't always line up with like the reality of a production. Our last comment comes from Jordan Brady, who wants to remind everyone that he has a, uh, director's treatments unmasked course <laughs> that you can check out mm. um, and because he's a friend of the pod we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna Incredible. mention it. he did phrase it in the form of a question uh, jeopardy style but it's basically a plug for his treatment course talk about a great segue into additional unpaid endorsements unpaid endorsements i'm gonna kick off i got a good one so let me ask, are you two Wordle people? No. No. I played Wordle twice and I got the word right on my second. Basically, I put in one word. It gave me whatever the, res- the feedback and I got mm-hmm. it right on the second time. And so I have like a perfect two, two word record. 
Okay, so the fun of Wordle is texting other people the Wordle, right? That's the nice part about it. My wife and I do it together. She texts her sister back and forth. But have you ever thought to yourself, boy, Wordle is fun, but what if it were about movies instead? Have I got the game for you? It's called Framed. Framed Framed.wtf. You have a single still from a film. You guess the title of the film. It gives you six different frames and you go from there, basically. It's powered by Shot Deck, which uh, is one of the resources that we all use to pull stills from for treatments, which gives, I think, gives us a leg up because we have a a strong familiarity with the sorts of films that are available in the Shot Deck Index. It's really fun. I really like it. Hmm. Nice. That's a good one. That is a good one. I am going to recommend this book, which seems like a self-help book, and technically it is. It's called Attached, Mm -hmm. The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. But I'm recommending it specifically for character development. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Little curveball there. I like that. Obviously, I'm perfect and I don't need relationship help, but I do think it's really helpful because this attachment theory is basically how your relationship was to your primary caregivers and how that affects you as an adult. And so when you're developing characters, there's different types of attachment style and it's just really helpful to like dig, you know, deep. Like I'm in my Netflix movie, the main character's is his flaw is that he's has a savior complex mm-hmm. and that is not me at all. Like I have the opposite of a savior complex. I'm like, screw you. Uh, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. So it's been helpful that those chapters in this book to kind of understand like what he's going through, but it's really useful. I think for character development overall. Oh, that's great. I love oh, that. What's it called again? Attached. Attached. Cool. What about you, Orin? Well, I endorsed something before, uh, after only seeing a couple episodes, I'm doubling down on Severance. I finally finished it. And it's just like such a fun ride. Yeah. I really enjoyed the final episode. Uh, definitely needs to come back for season two. Um, yeah, it left a bunch of open-ended questions. Hardly a finale. Yeah, but, it, give, that. but it gives a lot of answers too. Like it's not, the show yeah. is not not satisfying. It's not just a bunch of mysteries with no answers. So I don't know anything about this show. I know the casting. I think that's a good way to go into it. I think you'll like it. Yeah, it's great. So I'm also going to, I learned something. This isn't really an endorsement, but I guess you're not supposed to take NyQuil if you have kids. Anyone told you, <laughs> tell you this before? No. no. So I took NyQuil, you know, I been uh-huh. was a little sick a few days ago to uh, get a good night's sleep. And in the middle of the night, my wife woke me up because our dog needed to be taken out. And I was like, what? I, I took NyQuil. I was like, a, I could not move. I could not walk. She's like, you are not supposed to take NyQuil if you have children. I was like, how do you learn these things? Um, I never heard that. And I guess like, because it knocks you out so hard. If something like, if your kids are crying or doing anything like uh-huh. you, you just, it's just like, you would have no idea. So, and the last <laughs> tip, just because we talked about treatment so much and something we got on our uh, podcast pitch deck, uh, was even if you're telling a dark story, like I think it's if you want to sell it and you're using images, try to include something hopeful, you know? Yeah. Like hopeful imagery. They can be dark. They can be desaturated. They can be like teetering on the edge of failure. But but hope is uh, is something that 
helps get things made. And I've seen so many treatments that are just like, oh, this is the worst place and the worst person and the worst thing. And it's like, everyone's going to die, you know? And it's like, just, just remember to balance mm-hmm. like all the dread and the darkness with some light. I, I like that sentiment. I, I would adjust it slightly to just make sure that your treatment is true to the story that you're telling. If there's no redemption, right? There's no hope in your film. I can think of a few treatments where the films are just super, bleak. super bleak and like there's that deck, you know? Yeah. That's a hard movie to sell. Yeah. It's, right? a, hard, it's a hard sell. So yeah. maybe yeah. Orange really saying rethink <laughs> your <laughs> ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty unlikely that you have something really, really bleak, but I can think of one treatment in particular, one deck Ooh. that the movie doesn't end very nicely and neither does the deck what are you talking about it follows there's no happiness oh in that deck. that's true but anyway carlin thank you so much for joining us my pleasure uh, you're always a delight to have on just so y'all can roast me about my technological ineptitude no carlin <laughs> that's not what we're saying i promise can you tell that's... that i feel self-conscious I'm about that sorry. sometimes no yeah. no this is a this is i don't mean to hijack the ending here but it, it is like you know we, we all bring different tools to our craft and that's mm-hmm. that's been something i'm like ah oh, one day i'll learn more about vfx and basically i just call Oren and i'm like how do i do this shot well how can people find out more about you and what you're up to just give it a goog no um <laughs> instagram that's you picked up on uh, on set <laughs> yep that's what the kids are saying no they don't no you always do this wrong okay my instagram is carlin hudson it's tr- truly just my name my twitter which i don't really do anything with is hey carlin but just go to instagram well you can find out more about this episode and this show and us at just you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Uh, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash justshootitpod and even get one of those cool Just Shoot It podcast hats that Carlin has been wearing on set mm-hmm. and just becoming <laughs> super popular with. Uh, and you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at OKaplin. And on Twitter, I'm at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.